right. Good morning, Journey Church. How are you guys doing today? All right. Hey, it's been an incredible morning already, but it's about to get better, and it's been an incredible weekend here at Journey Church. If you're not aware, we had our Pursue God Marriage Conference that took place this last weekend on Friday and Saturday, and it was an incredible time where truth was spoken and couples were able to begin conversations that will continue to impact their marriage, not just for this weekend, but hopefully for the remainder of their lives together. Our leaders for this weekend were Brian and Tracy uh, Dreyer. Uh, Brian is the founder of Alpine Church in Utah, so he joins us all the way from Utah. I'm going to invite him to join me here uh, on the platform today. They also are the founders of PursueGuide.org, so it's a discipleship strategy and resources impacting lives all over the globe, and we're excited to have Brian share with us this morning, so you guys make him feel welcome. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. It has been so fun for us to be a part of your church for these last few days. This is actually the first time that we've spent more than a day in Alabama, and it has been so fun for us. Y'all are so nice. And uh, we noticed it as soon, as soon as we went, the first fast food restaurant, like everybody's nice, everybody's got a smile on their face. We're like, we want to just take some of these people back with us to Utah. So it's been great. Thank you so much for your Southern hospitality. Last night, we got to go over to the Vaughn's house and AJ got to, to shoot some guns in a backyard. So we're going to, when we get back to Utah, we're going to try that in our neighborhood and uh, pray for us. No, it was just so, we were like, it was just so fun. We've had a great time. It was great. The couples that joined us, it's been fun to, to be with you and to invest in your lives and hopefully in your marriages and that as uh, as Daniel said, I hope that you would continue to use the resources at PursueGod.org uh, to invest in your marriage, invest in your family. For those of you who don't know what PursueGod.org is, it's a discipleship uh, library, th- 20, over 2,500 topics on just about anything you can imagine. Uh, we talk about it there, from faith topics to Bible uh, Bible topics to emotions, relationships, marriage, parenting. There's stuff on there for students, for all of you young students in here. There's junior high stuff. There's high school stuff. It's just we've been working on it for seven years, and it's filled with great content. There are conversation starters, and we hope that you'd use it. In fact, today's message is on there as well. And if you would like to get today's message sent to your phone, go ahead and pull your phones out and text the word SERMON to 55498. And it'll send you a link to the message that we're going to be going over right now for the next 30 minutes. Uh, today we're going to take a look at the first miracle of Jesus. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. And the first miracle is in John chapter 2. So that's what we're going to be reading from today. Uh, but before we get into that, I'm actually going to jump to the end of the Gospel of John. If you don't know, uh, if you're new to the Bible... We have to say this in Utah all the time because we, when we moved to Utah 20 years ago, uh, there were very few Christians in the state, in the beautiful state of Utah. And it is a beautiful state. But there, there were very few people who knew Jesus. Uh, lots of people who went to church every day or every, every week, but very few people who actually knew Jesus or even really understood the Bible. So whenever we preach, we always uh, we always like to give a little context, so today we're going to be preaching from the book of John, and John is the fourth book of the New Testament. So Old Testament, some of you are like, we know all this, just bear with me. Some people might be here today and might appreciate this, all right? 
man, just back off. (laughs) So this is the Old Testament, the first part. That's the big part. This is the New Testament, the second part. And the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, which means that they come from the same perspective. So if you've ever read Matthew and then read Mark right afterward, you're like, I feel like I've read this. A lot of that is because it's coming from the same source, from the same perspective with a slightly different audience intended, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic gospels. But John is the fourth gospel, and it was written by John, the beloved disciple of Jesus. It says it right there in John. Do you know who the beloved, do you know who said he was the beloved disciple of Jesus? John. John called himself the beloved disciple of Jesus. I think that's pretty funny, personally. At the end, they raced to the tomb, they raced to the tomb where Jesus had been resurrected, and the beloved disciple beat everyone there. Once again, John wanted everybody to know he was the fastest disciple. So I love that about the Gospel of John. Uh, John was just really honest about the fact that Jesus loved him the best and the most. So anyway, that's the Gospel of John. And when John wrote his Gospel, he included seven miracles of Jesus. Did you know that there are only seven miracles in the Gospel of John? All the other miracles you've heard about are in the other three Gospels. John's gospel only John only picked seven miracles and he explains why at the end of his gospel John chapter 20 I'm just going to read this you don't have to turn there but I'm going to read this for some context before we get into his first miracle it says this in John chapter 20 verse 30 the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book in other words John is saying these seven weren't the only ones Jesus performed And then he said this, verse 31, but these are written, these seven, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So John said this, the reason I included these seven miracles is because number one, I want you to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And today I'm going to, maybe I'm going to, I possibly might challenge some of your picture of Jesus. But John wanted to make sure that they understood the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that John knew. And he said, I'm writing these things. I included these things. He handpicked these seven miracles for a specific purpose. He wanted to reveal the nature and character and person and work of Jesus to us. And he says, I don't want you to just believe in that Jesus, but I want you to know that when you believe in that Jesus, you'll have life in his name. The Bible teaches that believing in Jesus is not just some intellectual exercise. It's not just some belief that you have, some idea that you have running back here in the background of your mind, and then you just live the rest of your life and the two are never connected. No, God's word, God's word is written so that we may believe in Jesus, so that by believing in Jesus, we might have life. That means our families, that means our marriages, that means young people. You should be the envy of everyone in your neighborhoods. People who have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. People should say, I want to know that person. I want to know what that person has. In fact, when we moved to Utah 20, more than 20 years ago and started our church in our backyard, one of the things that we just committed to doing was just simply preaching God's word. We never, in fact, it's really awkward for me to talk about Mormons from the stage because we, at our nine campuses, we never mention the word. It's the M word. We never mention the M word on stage because we don't want it to be an, an unsafe place to bring your Mormon neighbors and your Mormon friends. And so we never actually, I would never say something like this, but I feel like I'm far enough away that I can use the M word here. 
But one of the things, we see people come into faith every week at, at our campuses. And one of the reasons is because real Christians are living out real faith in the midst of all their Mormon friends. And the Mormons are just caught, the Mormons in Utah are just caught up in tradition and legalism. And they don't know Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. And I know some of you might say, oh man, that's too bad. But I want, I want you to know this. The same could be true for some people in here today. Because there's a culture of religion in the South. There's a culture of religiosity in the South. And I know that you guys, I can tell by the way you all showed up to church this morning, because you all look like you're pretty comfortable. So that's good. So maybe you guys aren't really caught up in the culture of religion. At our church, whenever someone shows up in a suit, we know that they're Mormon. And so, so we're, all, we're always super nice to them. But we're like, okay, yeah, we got some Mormons in the back row. Look, they're in suits. So no offense if you're in a suit. That's great. But um, at our church, everybody comes just comes real casual. We have billboards for our church that say wear jeans to church. It was an outrage in, more, in Utah when we first put those billboards up. Because it's not because that's not the the God of the Mormon religion. The God of the Mormon religion is all about rules and regulations. But John wrote these this whole gospel and he wrote he included these seven miracles so that we may believe in the Jesus of the Bible. So that we may believe in the real Jesus. And I just encourage you as we unpack this this first sermon of Jesus, and John is the only author, gospel author, that includes this miracle. So we know it's the very first miracle of Jesus. I want you to learn something about Jesus today through this miracle. Let's start by reading it. John chapter 2. I'm just going to read it. Follow along with me. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus, the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Jesus said, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told his servants, do whatever he tells you. And standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine. And there it is. There's the big reveal. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine. It says, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and he said, hey, a host always serves the best wine first. And then when everyone else is smashed, my translation, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. To reveal the glory of something is to... Show it for what it really is. Have you ever heard that phrase before? He came out in all his glory, right? That means you just walked out of the shower. That is revealing yourself for everything that you are. And this is what John says, is this is the first time Jesus revealed himself for what he really is. In other words, there's a reason this is the first miracle. And it says, and the disciples believed in him. Would you pray with me real quick? God, I pray that you would help us as we unpack the first miracle of Jesus at that wedding ceremony. God, I pray that you would help us to understand who Jesus really is. And God, I pray for people who are here today who don't even realize that their picture of Jesus is maybe just a little bit off. 
God, I pray that we would get the real picture. God, that we would see you in all your glory, that, we'd see, that we would see you for who you really are, and God, that it would impact our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that today we would get more than information, but Lord God, what we learn would lead to transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus' first miracle shows us that he's come to offer a life of joy freed from the old rules of religion. I want you to think about rules of religion here in in this place, in this in this city, in this state. I don't know. I don't know what your rules are. When you think of rules, I don't know what comes to mind. When I think of rules, the very first thing that comes to mind is my mom, my dear mom. I love my mom. But we had a rule growing up in our house, up in Chicagoland. That's where I'm from. We had a rule growing up: is you don't walk in the living room. Now that might sound really weird that that would be a rule because it's called a living room, right? But we were not allowed to walk in there because there, it was, there was carpet in there. And my mom would, would vacuum the carpet, and she didn't want the lines of the carpet to be messed up. Can I get an amen from anyone? Wow, some of you, some of you get that, right? So we were not allowed to go into the living room. We were not allowed to step foot in the living room. The problem is we had our piano in the living room, and we all took piano lessons growing up. So we, no kidding, had to step across the couch in the chair and step onto the piano bench and sit down without ever stepping foot on the actual carpet in the living room to do our piano lessons. You're, you're looking at me like I'm making this up. I am not. I don't know what preachers are allowed to do here, but we're supposed to tell the truth in Utah. <laughs> you can trust everything that I say. That is really what we had to do. And I had one friend, and I, he was the only guy that could get away with it, one friend who, for some reason, my mom loved him, and he would go into that, li- he would walk boldly into the living room, like, like in the Holy of Holies, you know. And he would write his name in big letters across the carpet. And we were like, my mom is going to kill you. And she didn't. She loved him even all the more for it. So we never did figure that out. But I don't know what you think about when you think about rules. I think about my mom's carpet rules. My church had some rules too. Our rule, I mean, I kind of grew up in a little bit of a legalistic church. So our, our kind of unwritten rule was... Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. That was kind of our rule. I'll give you a second if you need to write. That's not in your notes, but some of you need to write that down. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. And I I was like, yes, sir. And I mean, I followed those rules until, of course, I met my wife, and um, who's here with us. No, just kidding. She doesn't do those things either. We were, we were at church. I wasn't allowed to dance. We weren't allowed to go to dances. I don't know, again, I don't know how you guys do things here, but that was one of our rules, we, which I was good with because I can't dance anyway, so I was, I was happy about that rule. You know, God's very clearly, we were not supposed to uh, engage in premarital sex because it could lead to dancing. Um, so we had rules. I don't know what your rules are. When we moved to Utah 20 years ago, we, we started to realize, we, we rolled into town on July 24th, and it, it was like a Thursday, and no stores were open. We're like, what is going on? And they said, it's Pioneer Day. Pioneer Day was the day that Brigham Young and the, and the Mormon pioneers rolled into Utah, and so they, July 24th. So they celebrate that day. We had no, I think God was playing a joke on us because we rolled into town on Pioneer Day and we couldn't even get groceries. 
So we realized that there were all kinds of rules in Utah that we would have to learn, that we would have to understand. And one of those rules is you didn't go outside on a Sunday. When we moved to Utah 20 plus years ago, less than one half of 1% of the population was evangelical Christian. Less than, I want you to hear that, less than one half of 1%. We're, there are still, to this day, there are still towns in Utah that are 100% Mormon, 100%. We, we, I still meet people that have never met a Christian before. Now, I know you guys are like, I can't even believe that. It's in, Utah is in the United States of America. And it's, it's, a, it's a foreign land. And so our kid, when we had kids and our kids would go out and, and like all their friends, they, could, they would call their friends, hey, could you come out? Let's go ride bikes. Like, no, we, it's Sunday. So those are rules that they had to live by. I want you to think about it in your own life, in your own world. What are some of the rules that you have? Every church has rules. Even this church is laid back as journey churches. We still have rules. We still have the way that we do things. Rules aren't all bad. I don't want you to get the idea that rules are all bad. But I want you to know that as we look at this first miracle of Jesus, that it's going to unveil some things about rules and what Jesus thinks about it. When we look at the story some of you might think, I don't understand why Jesus, why this would be the first miracle of Jesus. Of all the miracles that Jesus could have started with, why does he start with this party trick? Why does he start with this miracle that's turning, turning water into wine, which the church I grew up in, you weren't supposed to drink. So I think they would rather that it was turning wine into water. But they could, it was right there in Scripture. So they were very clear. Whenever we, my pastor would preach on this, he would like, it is very clear that Jesus turned water into grape juice. It is right there in Scripture (laughs) that Jesus turned water into grape juice. Well, the reason that this was a problem, if we have a little context here, is at at that time, the Jewish culture was a shame culture. And if you were the groom throwing a party and you ran out of wine at your party, that would be shameful for you. That would be a disaster for you. That would be incredibly embarrassing and it would go with you for the rest of your life. People would say, oh, you're the guy, you're the guy that ran out of wine at your wedding. <laughs> I heard your story. It was incredibly shameful. And so when Mary came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, they have no more wine. She was ready for him to perform his first miracle. Here's what we learned, first of all, when we see the response of Jesus or the response of Mary to this situation that we must come to Jesus on his terms. The truth is God isn't a cosmic vending machine who gives us everything we want at the moment we want it. I think America has turned Jesus into a kind of a have-it-your-way savior. Like Jesus is here to serve me. Jesus is here to serve my wishes, to serve my demands. It's almost like we've, we flip the script on Jesus and we're on the throne and he's just here to serve us. And I think at first glance, you might think that's what's going on here because Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they have no more wine. Like, in other words, subtext. You know how moms can give a little bit of a subtext, a little message? Anyone know that? Anyone have a mom that sometimes says one thing, but there's a subtext in what she's really trying to say? Like, are you really going to go outside in that, right? One of those things. And so when Mary said, hey, they have no more wine, Jesus he was, Jesus was about 30 years old, so he knew there was a subtext there. And that's why he says in verse 4, men, write this one down. Dear woman, that's not our problem. That's a great memory. That's a great life verse for some of you men in here. Dear, just write it down. John 2, 
Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. And you are quoting Jesus. Words are read right there. (laughs) Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Now this confuses me when I first read this because he says, no, it's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But he still ends up performing the miracle. And I think that shows us the power, really. This is kind of a picture of the power of prayer. But here's the point is that Mary is approaching Jesus on his terms. And the reason we know it is because now after Jesus says that, Mary turns to the servants and, he, and she just simply says, do whatever he tells you. And what does that show us? That Mary trusts that Jesus is going to do just what he needs to do just when he needs to do it. Mary was the one of everyone in the story. Mary was the, <coughs> was the only one that really knew who Jesus was. The angels had come to Jesus, or to to Mary, and said, you're going to have a child. He's going to be the Savior of the world. Could you imagine guarding that secret, holding that secret in your heart for 30 years? Moms, could you imagine that? 30 years holding that secret. You know that Jesus is special, that Jesus is going to do something special in this world. God himself told you that. And could you imagine how it felt after 30 years of watching him just go into your cupboard you know, eating more cereal. He's th- now he's 30 years. It's like, when are you going to get out of the house and get on with the mission that you came for? That's, I, I read that a little bit into this. Mary felt like she was raising a millennial or something. But what I love about it is verse 5 says that Mary trusted that Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted to do. And so she said to the servants, Just do whatever he tells you. And so as we read the story, he tells them to go fill these six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Now let me explain this, because if you don't understand the context, then you don't have any sense of why John would include this in his top seven list. Those ceremonial jars were used because they were part of the rules. It was part of the checklist. If you were Jewish, you knew exactly what this was. There were all these... There were all these ritual purification ceremonies that a Jewish person would have to go through. And all of those things went through those jars. So those massive jars, those represented religion. It represented your rules. And when Jesus looked at those jars, and he had the servants fill those jars with water, and then... When he turned the water that was in those jars into wine, what he was doing is he was defiling those jars. Now you have to understand, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus understood the rich history. Jesus understood all the rules. Jesus probably just washed his hands in some of those jars when he showed up to the wedding, along with his disciples. And now Jesus is saying, fill them up with water and he turned water into wine, and he defiled it. And I want you to understand why, that, why Jesus did that. Jesus was trying to show us that he'll do more than we can imagine. When Jesus filled those jars with wine, he was shocking the world about his true mission. I want you to know that Jesus' true mission was not to bring religion into the world. Jesus' true mission was not to bring more rules into your family. His mission wasn't to show up from God the Father with a checklist of things that we had to do in order to be made right with God. 
Jesus' true mission was revealed in this first miracle. Jesus turned water into wine because wine represents joy. Psalm 104 says that God gives wine to man to gladden the hearts of men. Wine represents joy. It wasn't grapefruit juice, or it wasn't grape juice. It was actual wine. This was a legit party that you would bring your mom to. And when Jesus turned water into wine, he was doing it to prove a point. I have come to bring joy. Later on in John, if you read, one of my favorite verses is is John chapter 10, verse 10. Some of you might know this. In the NLT, it says this, that thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. That's what Jesus came to bring. When we moved to Utah 20 years ago, we, we moved there to bring water to the desert. We moved there to bring the message of Jesus to people who were steeped in religion. They didn't know who Jesus is. And we came to bring what Jesus wanted to bring to them, which was joy. My purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. God doesn't just want to give you some kind of a spiritual life. God doesn't want to just impact your religious life. God doesn't want to just impact your Sunday mornings. God wants to impact your whole life, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, financially, in every way. God wants to make it rich and satisfying for you. But I think sometimes in religion and sometimes in church we compartmentalize things. And we say, okay, well this part is, is God's part and this is what He wants. Maybe for some of you you think of this as like this. He wants, he wants, it's like an intellectual pursuit. He just wants me to get my theology right. Theology is important. But Jesus didn't just come to get your theology right. Some of you maybe are like, no, he just wants me to come so I can worship, you know, worship with the worship team and just kind of splash around in the river and have this incredible, like, spiritual connection with him. Oh, but then I'm done. Okay, now we're going to go and we're going to just go about the rest of our lives. No, Jesus wants to integrate all of it. He wants your rich and satisfying life to be spiritual, relational, emotional, everything. That's what he came for. And that's why Jesus' first miracle was on purpose. That he turned water into wine because wine is a symbol of joy. Now, I want you to contrast that with Moses' first miracle. You remember the story of Moses? That he was called by God to go to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh, let my people go because, because Pharaoh and the Egyptians had enslaved the people of Israel for over 400 years. And God sent Moses to go in there and take care of it. And so when Moses showed up and said, Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no, then the first miracle came about. You remember the first miracle of Moses? He turned the Nile into blood. So the first miracle of Moses was to turn water into blood, and blood represents judgment. And Jesus' first miracle generations and generations later was to turn water into wine and wine represents joy. And some of you still have the picture of God that is a Moses picture. I know in Utah that's what's going on. They think that God is all about judgment. They think that God is all about condemnation. They think God is just this cosmic killjoy. He doesn't want us to have any fun. He doesn't want us to enjoy life. 
Well, Jesus wanted to blow away that misconception by performing his first miracle. And John wanted to make sure that we understood it. So John included it in his top seven list. The Jesus of John turned water into wine because he's more interested in joy than judgment. Romans 8.1 says that God, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He says there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you are living under condemnation. Some of you are living because you've got this, this checklist in the back of your head. Maybe some of you are a little bit older. It's because that's what you grew up with. And you're, maybe you're new to Journey Church. And, and so you're still trying to learn that. It's still maybe just a little different that you can come and be relaxed and, and, and seek God and worship him in a different way. And, and I want to encourage you to continue to pursue that Jesus because that's the Jesus of the Bible. But some of you are young people and you've... You're growing up in the church, and this is your church, and you still somehow in the back of your mind have a different picture of Jesus than what's biblically accurate. Jesus wants to bring joy into your life. He doesn't want you to have this cold, lifeless religion. And I tell you what, it can happen here. It can happen anywhere. But it can happen here in Alabama, I'll say that. Because you guys have rich tradition. Rich tradition of religion. Churches on every corner. That's what it looks like in Utah, except they're Mormon churches. And I see what a culture of religion can do to a city, what it can do to a state, what it can do to families and individuals. And Jesus would say, no, I've come to bring you a rich and satisfying life. I want you to have life to the full. I want to turn your water into wine, not into blood. Because I love you and I'm for you. And I kept the checklist. You don't have to. Jesus checked off every box. Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life, and he went to the cross to die for us. And here's the last thing with this miracle. Jesus was telling the world that he wants to do something new for you. He was revealing that the way to God goes through him and is by faith. And I know for some of you, you're like, we know that. We've heard that a million times. I've heard that since I was a little, a little boy, but when we say a message like that in Utah, there are people every single Sunday, there are people sitting at our campuses that have never heard that before. And there might even be a few of you sitting here that have never really understood that. There is one way to Jesus and it goes, there's one way to God and it goes through Jesus and it's by faith. One of my favorite verses, I, I use this all the time. Romans 3.22 Paul says this, and Paul was a guy who was great at keeping the rules. Paul was a guy that before he met Jesus, he was all about the rules. He was a Pharisee. And Paul said this after he met Jesus, he said, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. We're not made right with God by going to church every week, by going to youth group. We're not made right with God by reading our Bibles and praying. All those things are great. I'm not trying to say those things are bad. I'm not trying to say that God wants to keep you from doing all those things. Everybody take next week off. Pastor Michael, love it, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, that Jesus, that Jesus and Jesus alone makes us right with God. And when we get that, it opens up a life of joy. It takes all that pressure off and we can... That veil gets removed and we can just begin to seek God for God. And we get, begin to pursue him for him. And we begin to pursue his face, not just his hand of provision. And we begin to have an, this experience of a relationship with God 
that leads to a rich and satisfying life. And what I love about Romans 3.22 is it says that we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. In fact, another translation says no matter who we are or what we've done. Because there are some of you who are sitting here today, and you just still sense the condemnation. You still sense judgment, and you're like, nope, I don't think this message is for me. Well, look, that scripture verse says no matter who you are, that scripture verse is for everyone. Young people, there might be some secret sin in your life that you feel like if mom and dad knew, if God knew, I want you to know God knows and God still loves you. And God doesn't want to judge and condemn. God wants to set you free and he wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. But the longer you hold that in, the further away you'll get from that joy that Jesus came to give you. Jesus came to turn water into wine as his first miracle. And I love how this story ends at the end. I'll read it again. In verse 11, John 2, it says, This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. It was the first time he showed everyone. Mary already knew, but the disciples were just beginning to know who Jesus really was and what he had really come for. And it says, and his disciples believed in him. And I don't want you to think that that means that they had perfect faith. That just means they took everything they knew of themselves and they gave it to everything that they knew of Jesus. That's my definition of faith. It's taking everything you know about yourself and giving it to everything that you know about Jesus. And right now, right after this first miracle, they knew that Jesus came to bring them joy, that Jesus would party with them. That's what they knew. And they said, that's the Jesus I want to follow. And as we learn more and more about the other miracles, they began to put more and more of the pieces together and realize how powerful, how authoritative Jesus really was. But the first thing that they learned was that Jesus was for them and that he came to bring them joy. If you're here today and that's news to you, I want to invite you to know that Jesus. Would you bow and pray with me today? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to, I want to invite you, if you're here today and you have never come to that Jesus, the Jesus of John 2, you haven't come to the Jesus who wants to bring joy and satisfaction and life into your family. I want to invite you to respond to that Jesus today. I, I want to invite you to pray a prayer like this, just in your heart. You have to pray it out loud, just in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I praise you that you turned water into wine. I thank you that you came for joy and not judgment. And today I receive you. Today I accept you in. I recognize I'm a broken sinner and that I stand condemned. But I accept, Jesus, what you did on the cross in my place when you took the punishment for my sins. Today I receive your salvation. And I embrace the joy that comes with it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.